0: We are going to fight, we're going to stand, we're going to make policies so that every single person in this country has an equal right and has equity and
1: justice. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, I'm joined by my co-host, Tiffany Ramirez. Tiffany serves as the Empower OKC program manager at Lilyfield, And Lilyfield's Empower OKC program is designed to transform families and communities into places where children are safe and can thrive. So Tiffany and I are going to interview our guest, Malika Cox. Malika is passionate about criminal justice reform, restorative justice, and policy changes that impact marginalized communities. Malika is the pastor of Spiritual Formation, Justice, and Community Life at The Table in Oklahoma City, and she speaks and teaches on anti-bias, diversity and inclusion, race and reconciliation, and transitional and restorative justice practices. So before we get into this conversation, which obviously is going to include talk about George Floyd and racial injustice, along with Tiffany talking about what it has been like having, you know, a loved one deported it is a really fascinating conversation. But before we get to that interview, I want to tell you about Mental Health Association Oklahoma's new virtual support group, Coping with Trauma from Racial Injustice. And it begins June 15th. And that free virtual support group is conducted through Zoom, and it's specifically for people dealing with the trauma and stress related to the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery and the ongoing crisis in america and it's facilitated by carmen white yannick who is a diversity equity and inclusion professional and a non-denominational minister who understands the unique needs of people during this time so more details about that are available at mhaok.org forward slash support groups okay let's get this conversation started the mental health download starts now All right. So, so Tiffany and Malika, I'm so glad you're here on the mental health download podcast. And let's start with my first question, which is for Tiffany. So Tiffany, after you were a recent guest on the podcast, which was awesome. Everybody go listen to that episode. Uh, I asked you to think about co-hosting a future podcast with me where you would interview someone you found fascinating. And immediately you came back to me and you said you wanted to interview Malika. And I understand why now, but for our audience, tell us why you find Malika so fascinating.
2: Yeah, thank you. So I, I met Malika maybe, actually it was last year. I think it was, it was actually on my birthday because I was invited. You, you invited me to, to speak at one of your Sparrow groups. I was uh, a guest there, and, and I remember I fell on my birthday. So last October, I met her, and honestly, I didn't really, we didn't really have that much of interaction at that moment. I wasn't really uh, familiar with the work that you do, Malika, but then in December, you came and spoke in our, one of our employee meetings, staff meetings at Lilyfield, and you started talking about restorative justice and how your work in different cultures has shaped you into what you're doing right now. And and that just, it was fascinating for me because I've always had the the thought that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you speak or sound like. I think we all are looking for, for a purpose in our lives. and I think it, we all uh, in this together, and and bringing that piece that we often don't think about, bringing restorative work in into the the stuff that has happened between cultures, between countries, uh, among ourselves, and in just human being, we just take it as history, but we don't realize that that has hurt us into the stuff that we see today. So. Yeah, I really appreciate your work on that, and I really enjoy and and appreciate your your wisdom and that. So yeah, that's why I was like, yes, we need to talk to Malika.
0: <laughs> I'm honored that you chose me, and I have the deepest uh, respect and high regard for Tiffany, who is to me one of the heroes of Oklahoma City. Like when I think about people who are doing the work of restorative justice, I think of I think of Tiffany Ramirez. So thank you. It's an honor to be here, guys.
1: Okay, Malika, so can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself?
0: Well, I get to do some pretty great stuff. I did study transitional justice and restorative justice when I was in Northern Ireland in 2016-2017. I studied peace building, reconciliation work, and then I did my research in Israel-Palestine, an Israeli-Palestinian dialogue. And a lot of the things we looked at were practices that address justice after atrocity or after war and conflict. So if that's truth and reconciliation commissions, if that's reparations or commemorations or healing through remembering, I got to study these things. And and it's not something that we do a lot here in the United States, but I do think if we actually were to look at addressing past atrocity, we could kind of understand why we're in the mess we're in now. For example, Oklahoma being probably one of the most religious states is actually one of the worst places to live for people and has one of the if not historically in the top one and two, highest incarceration rates? Why is that? And I think that's a misunderstanding. As a a person of faith, I think that's a misunderstanding of uh, true and right religion, which is restorative justice, not punitive. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we have neglected past abuses as though that works individually. I mean, you know, (laughs) does that work in a relationship? Okay, we're just going to ignore you know, just move on, forget about it. Like, I don't care that you hurt me. No, we need to address things so that we can heal collectively and as a community. And to do that, we have to address the things that have happened. We have to make amends and we have to heal and then we can move on. And so when I got to see that actually happening in like Belfast, Northern Ireland, where they had a 30 year bloody war with the English and British, I got to see the conflict that's happening right now in Israel, Palestine, or South Africa, where uh, things were were brought to the table after apartheid. fell. I got to study those things and look at those things up close, like I was in Jerusalem for five weeks. So I got to see that stuff. So when I came back to the United States, and I came back to Oakland. Oklahoma, buckle the Bible belt, and place where the riskats live. I got to. I could take a deeper look and be like, oh no, no, no. We need to. We need justice here. We need restorative justice. We need transitional justice. We need to look at why we're here, and that has a lot to do with what's happened in the past.
2: Are you seeing anything that is taking us into that path of restorative? justice here in Oklahoma.
0: I do. And I'm hopeful for Oklahoma because I think when it really became clear that we were the worst in the world globally, I mean, if the United States is the worst in the world and Oklahoma is the worst, you know, one or two historically, then I think think it was a wake-up call. And I think there's like a lot going on globally and that's starting to influence some things locally, like there's restorative justice practices around mediation, around diversion courts, around policy changes and institutional reform. And I think we're starting to realize, okay, we need to stop criminalizing people, particularly women, for trauma responses. And it's been only really in the last few, maybe decade, that we're starting to understand trauma at emotional level. And, you know, we've got ACEs now. We're starting to realize that people react a certain way when they've been traumatized as a child or even as an adult. And for so long, we've criminalized that in the state of Oklahoma. So I think all of a sudden we're starting to see people realize, OK, we can't criminalize people who've been through trauma because often people who've been through trauma, they need to medicate. For example, if you go through physical trauma, say that you get blunt force trauma physically, you need to see a doctor, you need it to be care you need it to be cared for, and you probably need to get on pain medication. I mean, these are just legitimate things that happen with physical trauma. Emotional trauma, psychological trauma isn't different. You may need uh, you do need to get professional help to assess it and often people want to medicate the pain. And so what we've done is we've criminalized that. We've criminalized trauma responses and addiction, which then I think a very judgmental way we put women in jail for being bad moms. You know, we've we've crafted policies like failure to protect, where we actually are putting women in jail for you know three times the length of time the actual physical abuser of a child you know you're the mom of that child so you go to jail for 27 years and the abuser doesn't has 2 years parole it's like we we've really criminalized abuse victims and trauma responses and addiction i do think we're starting to get that So you see things like the commutations that happened um, this past November, which were significant to the point that I think it brought us from number one in incarceration in the country to number two. Like that was significant. You see great organizations like Remerge which is a diversion court. Now, diversion courts have been happening for 50 years. Like if you go to these Scandinavian countries, they went from punitive justice to restorative justice. And in 50 years, they're emptying their prisons and they're turning them into hotels or they're renting them out to other countries because they figured out that Punishing people for like uh, addiction or um, abuse does not work. It's cyclical and it causes these kind of mass incarceration. So they've been doing diversion courts for a long time where people, instead of going to jail, will go and get rehab or they will get help for their um, addiction or maybe they'll get protection from being physically abused. And so we're starting to get that. And it's low and frankly late. But I will say we're getting it. We're seeing it in things like drug court. We're seeing it in like County Commissioner Carrie Bloomert, who when COVID-19 started to happen, she got people out of the Oklahoma City County Jail working with them team and working with the judges. And you've got drug court and you've got Remerge. And all of a sudden you see uh, this amazing movement. And yet, I will say this, people are still trying to kind of shut that down and say, you know, we got to be tough on crime. And tough on crime is What has gotten us to the point of being number one in the world, incarceration number one or two. What we need is to be wise and smart about criminal behavior and how do we bring restorative justice to victims, to offenders, and to the community at large.
2: Me personally, I just, I cannot stand injustice. I just, I, and and that's just something within me that I just, I can't understand the, the, someone processing in their mind that that it's okay to point or to push down a person just because of circumstances that we don't even know if the person was willing to be in there wanting to be in those circumstances i mean we don't know what led those people to or certain people or certain group or whatever you name it into being circumstances that are leading them into be incarcerated and things like that i I honestly, I do not believe that every human being or every person that is in, in incarcerated right now woke up one day and said, I'm going to do something so I can get incarcerated. I mean, there is there is just it will be insulting to my intelligence to think that, you know, that someone will want that. Of course, they don't. So we have to understand. And this might be just a statement more, more than a question into thinking. How can, uh, it's just like, I, I don't understand how can we still uh, have that pushback? Like you mentioned in the last part of your answer, how can we still have people that are kind of doing that pushback uh, when it, there is a lot of evidence that what we're doing is not working, that that we are in in a, that this truly is a problem and that it needs to be addressed. And And I think it might be, I don't even I, I I'm having a hard time just mentioning his name, but I watched the video of George Floyd last night, and it's just I, I don't understand how things like that happen. How do you how do you think that it's okay when a person is telling you, I cannot breathe? That just ignore that. And the worst part for me is seeing that facial expression on that police officer it it was like no one was talking to him it was just like nothing when someone is telling you like how how numb can you be in the inside to think that it's okay to just continue hurting someone when you when they're vocally i mean they're literally telling you that they cannot breathe which is which is essential and with that, I guess I do have a question. What are we, The him saying, I cannot breathe. That is, I feel like that is a, he said it out loud, but I feel like there's a lot of people that are might be facing incarceration or might be uh, part of this uh, incarceration system that are saying I cannot breathe. Like what, with, without words, what will you say that, that we're doing to shape that culture or what 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 are you hearing from the community i mean obviously we can say a lot of things from our electoral officials and that you know things need to change and everything but also i think there is power in the community so what are you hearing from from the community
0: first i just want to say thank you because i don't think there's i don't think right now today may what is it 29th, 30th i forget all blends together in quarantine, but I don't think that today we can do this conversation on criminal justice reform without talking about George Floyd. I don't think it would be authentic. And I thank you so much for your authenticity and your pure heart and your intelligence and your passion, Tiffany, because it oh. is gut-wrenching. My father's black, my mother's white. So I get, to, I get inside into two different worlds all the time. And when you see something like George Floyd, like as a human being, it is... Beyond comprehensible to witness lynching, a modern day lynching happening right before our very own eyes. But when you are somebody who has a black man as a father, black nephews out on the street in Los Angeles like I do, it becomes much more than just like this. Repulsion of humanity, it becomes like your whole re- world begins to shake and you go through trauma symptoms because you become very, very fearful for the people in your life that you love. So, this talk on criminal justice reform without George Floyd right now would be hollow. And so, what I would say is what I'm hearing from the community is exactly that it's that I can't breathe. Like, I can't be a Black person in America today and have a good day because all I have to do is look at my phone. And then I go back into trauma responses. And what I would say about the pushback is it is a legacy. And that's where we're missing the point. And honestly, why we have mass incarceration today in Oklahoma, United States of America is because our criminal justice system is a legacy in slave codes. The slave codes are kind of the formation of our criminal justice system and then the slave codes were changed to black codes and the black codes became Jim Crow. And all of this legal system isn't like it disappeared. This is actually not a broken system. It's a system that's working the way it's supposed to. And that's what we have to understand. It's not broken. It is designed the way it was meant. To work. And then after Jim Crow, we had the Civil Rights Movement and the Civil Rights Act, which was great. But the problem is the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, actually didn't abolish it completely. It allows for slavery for those who are incarcerated. So, as it's the same system, it's just morphing and transforming. So now we have the war on drugs, which only, only, went after certain neighborhoods. I mean, there are drugs in every community. In the suburbs, there's drugs in the inner cities, there's Walgreens and CVS. It just depends your access to drugs. But war on drugs went after certain communities. So those communities were incarcerated. Why? Because you can still have slavery. You can have free prison labor. And until we address that the system isn't broken, it's working the way it's supposed to, and that we realize that it's not an accident that we're here, and then we look at mass incarceration over the 70s and 80s, and you see violent crime actually went down as a country, as a standard, but we increased our incarcerations by 700% through these laws during the war on drugs. So what do we have today? Well, we have a criminal justice system which is monetized. We have private prisons where people are making billions of dollars. We have Whole Foods, sorry to call it Whole Foods because there's plenty of corporations that did it, but they were exposed for using prison labor for their cheese. And if you ever bought cheese at Whole Foods, which I have, and I it's awfully expensive for the fact that they were getting free labor for it. I mean, people are making like eight cents on the hour. So I would say that we have to come to terms with our past. And that's why I study transitional justice because transitional justice is justice after atrocity, after Genocide after conflict. So we got to look back 450 years ago. And we got to deal with the fact that we had an indigenous population that we killed 95% off, that we enslaved Africans, ripped them from their families, the ones that survived the Holocaust type venture here were raped and brutalized and forced to work night and day without pay for hundreds of years, building up the economy of this country. I mean, slaves built the wealth. Then we had emancipation, which again, this is morbid. We go from slave codes, the black codes, to Jim Crow, to redlining, to gerrymandering, to war on drugs, the mass incarceration, and to honestly just over-incarceration of communities of color and police brutality. So we're here not because it was an accident. We're here on purpose. And that's the pushback. That's the pushback. And what really is this, is for me, because I come from the Christian faith and I'm a pastor, but I will say as a state that is very blatantly Christian, I think there's a huge misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. Because if your God is, the, you claim your God is the God of Exodus, who, who like, burned down Egypt to let the oppressed go free, then then I don't know who your Jesus is. I think your Jesus is really Aries. You know, it's like... (laughs) Like your Jesus isn't the brown skin Jewish <laughs> rabbi who stood against Caesar and religious corruption. Like that's you and I have different Jesuses. Your Jesus is Baal. I mean literally we have a bull on Wall Street, and that's what Baal was, was the bull that people called Yahweh. So I think we've got to address that the system isn't broken, the system works the way it's it supposed to, and that we have a Christian state that isn't actually
2: Christ-like. I think that was a powerful statement, and I really hope that that gets into other people <laughs> and to the right people because <laughs> we desperately needed. I, you, you and I had uh, recently a collaboration, Malika, and 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 I said that. I mean, that was one of one of the questions that we were asked. That I was asked is into how. What would you say that? and i'm just paraphrasing cuz i don't remember the exact question but what will you why would you say that we are Oklahoma is the most church state but yet we have the highest rates in incarceration and my 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 answer to that is that that is exactly it we have we have put so much input and so much energy into being the church the perfect church what we think what men it constituted as a church, that we've forgotten that we're the good news. So we cannot. There's there's no way that we can address pain and and suffering from others because I do believe that incarceration. That's what it brings, not just to the person that is being you know held accountable for something that they did, but the family, everybody, and to this point, the whole community. We all hurt when those things happen so we cannot address that without bringing a higher power into healing so i i mean i i agree with you i cannot agree more with you so you mentioned something that you said uh you talked about money so what you say is the correlation between Money and incarceration.
0: This is what's really hard is that people make billions of dollars off of incarceration in this country. It's a business, and there's ways we need to address it through bail reform. Like the whole idea of bail reform, uh, the whole idea that people are sitting in the Oklahoma City County Jail for nine to 13 months because they can't make bail. Keep in mind, these people are not convicted of anything. You know, how are you going to keep your job? How are you going to keep your kids? You may be completely innocent. You just can't afford to make bail. So there needs to be bail reform. Often people are generationally and cyclically incarcerated because they can't pay fines and fees. So you're looking at, you know, a whole debtor's prison, and which is illegal in the United States, supposedly, but it is what we have in Oklahoma, a debtor's prison. And so you can't pay your fine, you end up back in prison, you lose your job, you lose your kids, you go to jail, you come out of jail, you owe DHS, thousands of dollars, and you've got to pay all these fines. What is the likelihood then that you're going to be able to be a functioning as citizen who's contributing to the economy? No, you can't, because A, you can't find a place to live because you're now your and you can't um, basically get a job because you have to check a box saying that you're incarcerated. All of these things cause this cyclical incarceration that is, again, producing finances and revenue. And then that's not even going into private prisons and slave uh, slave labor, which is what I'm going to call inmate labor, which I think is the same thing that was going on 400 years ago, slave labor. And so there's so much money being made. And I think there has to become like, until we really want to get at the roots of, like, criminal justice reform, fine. You can fix some fruit. We can bring down the numbers a little. If you want to get at the system, you need to get at the roots. And that means we're going to have to drastically change this uh, ability to make money off of incarceration. That has to be core any type of restorative justice, is that if you are financially benefiting off the system, it's a corrupt system. It's corrupt. And so, until we address that, I'm not even interested in reform that much. I want, I want systemic change.
2: Well, I come from from Juarez, Chihuahua, which yeah, at some point in the history of global history was the most dangerous place in the world. It's on the border with El Paso and Mexico. For I mean, for many years we know that there the level of what's the word I'm looking for corruption. It's has been pretty high. And, and that's something that other people know, other countries know. And as as Mexicans, we know it happens and it's so obvious at times. And you, well, at least me being in that growing up in, in Mexico, on the border with El Paso, you kind of like have this idea of, or at least I grew up with this idea of United States being, you know, everything is... Uh, so perfect, everything is, you know, all these rules that everyone follows. Even when we will go and cross the border, because we I, we have a lot of family in El Paso. So, for instance, Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving or things like that, we'll go, and it was kind of like a joke that we have between us into, oh yeah, as soon as you cross the border, then you're like the perfect citizen. You follow the rules. You drive by this, you know, speed limit. You put your seatbelt on the contrary of whenever you cross the border into Mexico. So I always had that idea of at least until a few years ago, <laughs> that there was that corruption in the United States was really non-existent. That the system, the governmental system was, you know, followed by all this protocols and rules and policies and procedures that everybody everybody followed. And yes, money was there, but it was not Something that will move people into do different things until February this year. My cousin got deported, and he it, it was just like to me the whole. So I've I've, I've experienced a little bit of uh, seeing. I've I've translated or interpreted for a lawyer in court before, and I've done a little bit of of that in my previous life, but so i've seen i've seen i'm a little bit familiar with that and the whole thing what it happened with him it was just a little bit unsettling because he got put into jail he when we will call and ask how can we pay the the, the bond and things like that they said you're you you can do that but you're just going to lose your money and and then a few days passed by he was never issued a number you know, they they give you like a specific number too, so you can track who this person is and all these things, right? You can follow. He was never issued a number. And then all of a sudden he, everybody knew, it was kind of like if they knew they were going to deport him before letting him be before a judge or letting him uh, do something about his case. And then once he crossed the border, well, then that happened And then when he was sent to a jail uh, to get deported, no one knew. We were tried to call multiple places and no one knew where he was at. No one knew who he was until finally they said, oh, yeah, he had already crossed the border and whatnot. So when he calls us from Mexico and said that he had crossed the border already, he said that there was U.S. I don't know if they're police officers. I don't know if they're patrol whatever they crossed them and there was someone from the cartel waiting for them and that knew their names knew them by name said are you so and so and they say yes okay you're gonna come with me you just need to here's the money that you because if you give them money in in jail here in United States, that money supposedly follows them to wherever they go so they were supposed to get the money that they had and Obviously, obviously, it was not 100% of their money. There was some pay cut that happened within that process. So it, what would you say that is this something that we are going to to face into? Well, I guess my question is more into, is this something that minority groups will only face or do you think that... That corruption, it's happening all across cultures.
0: Well, I I first want to say I'm so sorry that you went through that. And and that breaks my heart. Like you hear about things like this, but then you know somebody. And that's why relationship is so important because you hear these injustices and it, it changes you. So I think the idea of America is beautiful, like rule of law like we want to live in a place that is democratic with the rule of law where everyone has an equal voice and everyone has a democracy and we're all created equal by our creator and we can have this opportunity for life liberty and pursuit of happiness i'm on board for that and i am willing to vote for that and and work for that and that is true, like something so noble and true and this is the ideals of our country and i love it but we have to realize that when our country was founded That existed only for a small group of people, and that people were European ancestry, male, and landowning. So that was created for rich white men, period. Rich white men. Women didn't have the right to vote. Women weren't considered human, really. We were property. People of color, well, let's say, say slaves, African slaves, or enslaved Africans, which is, I think, the much better way of saying that. We're considered went to the white-owning, white land-owning white land man for his purpose of voting. They, You know what I'm saying? And the indigenous population had literally zero say. I mean, it wasn't until like 1978 that Native Americans or people indigenous to this land had the right to worship their own religion. So yes, I love America's ideals. I love rule of law and I want rule of law. I love democracy. I love equality, but we have to recognize it was for a small group of people. And now we fought and we fought and we fought for the emancipation and we fought for women to have a right, and we fought for the Civil Rights Act. And you know, Native people fought so that they can have worship their own religion in public. But the reality is we're still so far away from that ideal and that dream. So what do we do? We do what we always have done. We stand up to corruption and we call it out. We speak truth to power and we say, no, we believe in that America for everybody, for every person, regardless, regardless of race, regardless of religion or no religion, regardless of documentation status or no documentation status, regardless of gender identity or gender, regardless of love orientation, regardless of anything. We are going to fight. We're going to stand. We're going to uh, make policies so that every single. Person in this country has an equal right and has equity and justice. And so it will always be a fight against that because unfortunately it was created for a small group of people. Yet the ideals I'll stand on and stay true to, we just have to work towards everybody having that. And that just means that some people are going to have to let go of their power and privilege or, as Martin Luther King Jr., not me, I'm not saying this, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, that nobody gives the oppressed their rights. The oppressed have to demand their rights. We have to demand our rights and say, no, we... We also will, stay, will be a part of this democracy. And we also want equity and justice. And no matter how much there's pushback or bullying or this kind of last breath of making America whatever again, no, we're not going to tolerate that. We're not gonna tolerate that. We're gonna stand for what's right. I don't care documentation status. I don't care ethnicity. I don't care culture or gender identity. No, we will take a stand and we will fight for that. If you are in this country, you get equal rights.
1: Okay, so Malika, uh, wow. Uh, So I think if we were at the Zero Mental Health Symposium right now, that's where you would get your standing ovation because that is phenomenal, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that powerful message with us. Goodness. All right. So yeah, speaking of the Zero Mental Health Symposium, this year's theme relates to everything that Tiffany and Malika have been talking about. And that theme is healing from historical trauma. And so I, I really hope that that we can make it possible for Tiffany and Malika to join us. The Zero Symposium is going to be completely virtual this year. So you can get all the details at ZeroSymposium.org. Okay. So as we wrap things up, I just want to thank Tiffany for being my co-host today. And I want to thank Malika for being here. Wow. This has just been an amazing conversation and really timely. So as we do here at the mental health download, our tradition is to ask our guests to share a bit of wisdom and then close us out with our rallying cry, which is be a part and go do good things. So Malika, take it away.
0: I think the wisdom is that we can't look at time kind of linearly like I think we have to look at things cyclically. Like right now, I think I believe we're really in the neo civil rights movement. At the time we coughed up, we kind of got rid of some of the injustice, but we're back again in the same place because not all of it was gone. So we have to look backwards to move forwards. We have to deal with systems that are unjust. We have to deal with the legacies of abuse and atrocity before we're going to heal societally. Just like individually, we have to heal from trauma. Collectively, we have to heal from collective trauma. So looking backwards will actually cause us to be able to move forward as a society into those ideals and noble pursuits that we want to do. Okay, so be a part and go do good things.